0: going to work for the morning so that is good well I don't know um, if you've noticed that there's a a little new decorating thing out it's probably been about two years where it's wall art and and people might actually paint it on the wall or maybe they hang up something but it's it's house rules and and I've got a door it's just a Solid or excuse me a hollow core door in my house, and I've always thought well, I should paint that and Stencil or write on the door these house rules that we have um, It's probably going to be one of those someday projects truth be told But our sons and and our grandsons will echo it that there are rules to our house there are rules and if you reflect back on your own growing up you probably remember a number of rules that your house had as well say please and thank you brush your teeth every morning and every night treat your elders with respect do what you're asked to do without complaining no cussing make your bed do your chores wash your hands before meals, and maybe you grew up with say your prayers before you go to bed. As a kid, you probably thought some of them weren't all that great of rules. But you knew it would just be easier if you followed them. And as you got older and increased in your understanding, this typically happens when you have children of your own, of course. Uh, But you realize that Your parents had rules with your safety and well-being in mind. That they had a desire that you would thrive within the boundaries that were set for you and that they were actually for your benefit. You discovered that the rules that your parents had set weren't for the sake of making your life miserable. They were there for a reason. They loved you and they wanted things to go well with you. Well, as we continue our series, The 52 Greatest Stories, this morning, we're going to look at the rules that God gave the new nation, Israel. Before God brought the family out of Egypt and birthed them into this nation, they lived under Egyptian rule. And those rules were just not going to work as they moved forward. You see, Israel being under slavery, they would have been under that compulsion to follow the Egyptian rules. And, and with Egypt being a pagan nation and worshiping false gods, it, it just wasn't going to work for them to take those rules with them. And so now that the Israelites are free, God needed to teach them how to live as a nation, a nation that he chose to be his chosen people. They needed new rules rules to live by, rules for their safety and well-being, rules that would guard them from becoming a slave again. And that's exactly what God did. He gave them rules, which if kept, would ensure real freedom. Real freedom. And that's the title of today's message, Real Freedom. Again, we're taking those titles from our companion book, The 52 Greatest Stories of the Bible, but the book of Exodus is where we're going to be this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. We're going to be in, in chapter 20, and we'll get there in just a minute. But God's laws for the new nation really had three different parts to it. The first one is God gave instructions for dealing with legal matters. In other words, they had a civil law. And you can read about those in Exodus chapter 21 through 23 if you if you so choose to do that this week. But secondly, he also gave them instructions for their ceremonial laws. These dealt with the form and the ritual of Israel's worship of the Lord, including their sacrificial system. These instructions you can read about in Exodus chapters 24 through 31. And then thirdly, God gave them instructions for their moral law, standards to follow for holy living, living these lives consecrated to God as the called nation now people often ask the question are we required to follow all of the laws given to the Israelites in the Old Testament the answer is no so let me explain see we live in the United States of America that's the nation on an earthly level that we live in And if you're caught speeding and receive a ticket for that where do you pay the fine? To the civil government. We fall under the civil laws of our nation, of our land, and we're not bound to the civil laws that were given in the Old Testament. We're not bond, bound to their cer- or ceremonial laws either. Those laws included things that, um, like the prescribed blood sacrifices for atonement of sin. They were certainly given for a reason. They were, though, types and shadows of better things yet to come. And so in that, with Christ's atonement, of course, we know that his sacrificial death offers covering for sin, and so we don't have to atone for sin through those prescribed um, sacrifices, um, those blood sacrifices. Because as followers of Jesus, we don't have to, to follow those ceremonial ones. Because his forgiveness was once for all. And it's been said that Jesus didn't come to compete with the law though. He came to complete it. And since Christ has come. We as his followers. Aren't under those ceremonial laws. We are rather under grace. Now of course we can learn much though. From studying the law in its completeness. Because. There's a, 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 that foreshadowing of the things that, that Christ would do and would fulfill. And so we can learn a great deal of how that all came about. But we're not bound to those laws. The moral law, however, is different. You see, the moral law that gave the Israelites, that God had given the Israelites, displayed his character. And so as followers of Jesus, of course, we are still responsible to follow those holy standards for living because we, of course, also want to reflect God and his goodness and his morality. And so those are given to us in the Ten Commandments, the moral law. Instructions, if followed, will offer real freedom. So this morning we're going to spend our time together looking at these instructions, these rules, The Ten Commandments are divided into two sections. The first four have to do with our attitude and our relationship with God. The other six have to do with our attitude and our relationship with our fellow man. You see, because obeying the commandments, it is going to be an attitude of our heart, but it's also going to help us to have a right relationship with God and with others. So before we read the text this morning, let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, instructions for us, for real freedom. And Lord, you want us to have these healthy boundaries, these safe boundaries for our benefit. And so Lord, as we are in your word this morning, we pray that you would not only help us to see who you are through your instructions, but also how we can apply this to our lives. We just want to praise you, Lord, with all that we are, as we learn more about who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Exodus chapter 20, starting with verse 1 this morning, says, Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. What a great way to start. God reminds the new nation who he is and what he has done for them. And we don't want to miss this. God not only gave them this list of instructions to follow, which we're going to read shortly, but he reveals who he is through them. He's their redeemer. He rescued them. He made a way for them to be free. And so he reminds this new nation of who's giving the instructions and exhorts them to remember what he has done. He is the Lord, our God. Continuing with verse 3, he says, You must not have any other gods but me. Remember the Israelites, they had just come out of of pagan uh, rule from the Egyptians. They would have seen many other gods worshipped. But God called them to be set apart, to be consecrated to him. Israel was not to call on any other god. They were not to worship any other god of other nations. They were commanded to fear the Lord and serve him only. Psalm 16.4, the first part of that verse says this, Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. So they were to be set apart and not to bring troubles on themselves from worshiping other nations' gods. God's instructions continue in verse 4. He says, You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind, or an image of anything in the heavens, or on the earth, or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affections for any other gods with clear instructions like this we can't help but wonder how in the world did the Israelites think it was okay to go ahead and make a golden calf for themselves to worship when when Aaron was watching over them and as their leader because Moses was up on the mountain and and he obviously Moses was taking too long and so the Israelites formed this metal golden calf you just have to wonder how in the world with instructions like this did they still make that choice the interesting thing though is we can still fall into the same thing to have gods that vie for our affections as well now many of us grew up in this culture that's familiar to judeo-christian values and principles and So it isn't that we probably fell into worshiping other spirits or other religions, gods, but we are just as apt to elevate other things in our lives from time to time. Things like money or power or talents or health, maybe even ourselves. And so when we start relying on those things more than we're relying on God, That is basically setting up a idol in our lives. And we know that when we do that, we can run into difficulties. Things do not go well when we give our affections to other things, elevating them above God. Loving them and depending on them more than we depend on God. You see, God wants us to worship him alone, to be dependent on him for those things that only he can give us. To pray to him and To have other gods. To do not make idols. Verse 5 continues with, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. See, what we exalt in our lives is going to have an effect on our family. It does not mean that if you've sinned and you put your trust in something other than God that all is lost, though. God is a God who redeems, and that, of course, includes our mistakes. But I can certainly say from experience that it does affect our family. They will likely struggle in that same area because they grew up with it. Easily believing that an addiction or a habit is a normal way of doing life, of dealing with stuff, that's going on around us. And they too will have to seek God in order to be able to break free from it. We do know that God can redeem. But we want to do everything to honor Him because when we do that, we are also protecting our families. Of course, the opposite effects of sin is blessings. And verse 6 continue, or reads with, He says, but I lavish unfaithful love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. See, as we set an example of obedience to God's commands, he will bring blessings upon our family that will have a generational impact. The third instruction is in verse 7. He says, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God, The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. This could include a curse, a false promise, speaking it insincerely or thoughtlessly. See, God's name is supposed to be revered, respected, and so we don't want to misuse the name of the Lord our God. The last of the four instructions centered on our attitude pertaining to God is found in verse 8. It says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now we know that Sunday is typically considered the Sabbath as modeled by the early church. But I don't think we're supposed to be legalistic about it. If I could only Sabbath on Sunday, I'd be in trouble. (laughs) Because you do know that's the only day that I work. Thank you for finding humor in that. But honestly, I used to believe that of ministers before I became a Christian and started attending church. I thought, they only work on one day. Yeah. So thank you for finding the humor in that. I appreciate that. So, when we look at this though, and look at the instructions of observing the Sabbath, I have to say it is a growth area for me. I grew up in a family that worked hard, absolutely nothing wrong with working hard. but I took it to a further step than just a good thing. Um, I started relying on that. That was my way of coping. I was just I'll just work harder. And so with that, I, I think I've even shared that that. Hard work ethic became my religion for a while in my life before I knew Jesus. Um, it, it just was one of those things. I remember getting up in the morning, going over to the sawmill. Um, and, and when I had started stone, starting coming to church, I, I would work for a while in the morning, run home, change clothes, come into church, go back, start working again, and complete my day of work. And that was along with the other six days of work that I did. And then there would be where I would uh, not work until after church and then pretty soon I wouldn't work the whole morning and then I moved into I didn't work the whole day. Um, But uh, I thought I had gotten the Sabbath thing down, especially when I was at school at North Central uh, down in the cities. We just had this little 528-square-foot Studio apartment or something like that and no chores outside to do and I thought I've got the Sabbath thing down I can do this. I can take this day off a week But uh, now that I'm in the ministry, <laughs> I sometimes find myself uh, Still working seven days a week and so this is an area that God's working on and on me um, And I, I think that there are times where, where it is busier than other seasons in our lives and that's just the reality of things and um, if you think of the old adage you have to make hay when the sun shines type of thing there's there are those seasons especially in the area in which we live when we have winter as long as we do guess what some things get put off until spring and you can only deal with them during that time of the and so things do get busy and I understand that um I'm always finding that there's work to be done, though, no matter what. There is always work that could be done. And I find it interesting what Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, verse thirty or 27. He says, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. See, God gave us this instruction for our benefit, not as a rule to control us, God didn't give this command to make workaholics feel guilty. God gave this to bless us. To give us instruction to rest and to set aside a day for our benefit. That we would think on him, remember what he has done for us. That's what the Sabbath is for, to worship him. To focus our thoughts on him and to enjoy his presence. So again, that's a growth area for me. Well, there are the four instructions that pertain to our attitude toward God. I'm going to go a little more quickly through these next six that pertain to our attitude towards others. As they're pretty straightforward... The first one comes with a promise. Chapter, or chapter 20, verse 12 says, Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. No matter what age our parents are or what age we are, this is important. We are to demonstrate honor and respect through our words and our actions. We are to provide support in any way that we can as our parents age, that might be emotional, physical, uh, material. And I have to say, I have been blessed through the parents that I have. I have been. But even if my parents hadn't been good parents, following God's instructions, would have still been for me to honor them. Of course, as parents, we're to teach our kids to fear the Lord, to love God. We're to nurture them. We're to treat them in such a way that they see Christ in us and want to reciprocate that love and affection. We want to be parents that do that, so our kids can, it's easier for them to honor us. But we are to honor our parents. It comes with a promise. Then you will live a long, full life. The next four instructions are are just short one-sentence rules, starting with verse 13. It says, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. When we look at these rules or instructions that pertain to our attitude with others, we see that disobedience would be an external act. Acts that would bring harm to others. And it's unfortunate that we see the breaking of these four particular commandments an awful lot in our society. But just because they have a common place in our day doesn't mean that we, um, or that they don't have, does devastating effects for the one who the act was committed against but also for the one that committed the act murder adultery stealing making false claims against anyone's characters or actions and that latter one seems to have completely exploded in the last couple of years but that making false claims also encompasses all lying as well. And those things go against the character of a holy God. This is not behavior that is in alignment, of course, with a follower of Christ. The last instructions of God's moral law is found in verse 17. "You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't appreciate the things that other people have, that we can't like the things that other people have, but coveting into that other arena. It's to have one's heart set on things that belong to another person, to desire those things so much that you start to resent that the other person has them. Instead of celebrating with someone that they they have something, they've acquired something or been given something, envy and resentment creeps in. And so this sin goes beyond the external sin of word and deed to condemn the evil motives and desires within us that reveals the selfish envy within our hearts. And God commands us not to covet because he knows that coveting will jeopardize our relationship with others every time. Do not covet. God's moral law reflects his character. We as followers of his are likely to reflect his character through our actions and his attitudes externally and internally. That's what we're supposed to do. And so as I went through this list of God's instructions pert- to pertaining to our attitudes towards others, maybe you were doing a mental checklist. Honor mom and dad. Check. Don't kill. Check. Don't commit adultery. Check. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Check, check, check. Maybe you even thought, well, I'm doing all right. But there's more actually to this than just the face value of these instructions. What do I mean by that? When questioned by the religious elite about which of all the commandments was the most important, Jesus replied with these words. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. He replied, the most important commandment is this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. It's no surprise that Jesus followed the statement similarly recorded in Luke with the teaching on the Good Samaritan. Because someone had asked him the question who's my neighbor? You see, refraining from dishonoring your parents, murdering, stealing, committing adultery, lying, or coveting is just part of the actual fulfillment of what God is instructing us to do. It goes beyond the list of do nots and does. A good rule of thumb to follow is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. When he said, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. You see, not only are we to consider all people our neighbor, we are to demonstrate love and care, respect, and concern for them as well. Where we're able to help, we are to help. Following the moral law that God lays out for us here in Exodus 20 and Jesus summarizes in the Gospels will help us to have real freedom in our relationship with God and others. But a right relationship with God is, of course, not earned by keeping the Ten Commandments. Let me read from what the author of our companion book has to say. He says, God does not give us the law as a condition for relationship, the law is a confirmation of a relationship we don't obey in order to become his children we obey because we are his children you cannot obey your way to salvation because the only perfect because only perfect obedience would be enough obedience is our response to his grace the ironic thing is once you begin living a life of obedience, you find your life actually works better. God set things to run in a certain way. Disobedience amounts to sawing against the grain of the universe. And as a former Sawyer, <laughs> I know it's a difficult thing. Sign against the grain. Going against what God had set up for us to follow is unnecessarily difficult. A life of obedience begins to be the only sane way to live. It is, in fact, a life of true freedom. As counterintuitive as it may seem, real freedom only comes as we submit to God's laws. The reality is though we need the Holy Spirit of God to help us to live out God's instructions how many have ever tried to to do all of God's commandments without God's help it's hard it's hard it's impossible we need the Holy Spirit of God his regenerative power In our lives so that we can please God by filling his instructions for us in moral living. We need to ask as the the writer in Psalm 119 verse 173 did. He says, give me a helping hand. For I have chosen to follow your commandments. It's a decision to decide to follow God. But we still need a helping hand. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us as followers of Jesus is desiring to give us that helping hand but we ask we ask we want to follow these instructions that were written on stone instructions for our safety and our well being instructions that were given as we sang that song this morning Um, it was a perfect fit for our good heavenly father we are loved by him That's why we want to follow the commands that he gave us. I share these words from Chuck Swindoll. He says, isn't it great that God gave his people written instructions to obey? We don't have to question what is it that God wants us to do. What are the rules he gives for us, for our benefit? He writes them down for us. He continues, this is the first time in all of history... That God wrote down his word. Because if you read further on in Exodus, you'll see, of course, and, and I think we all know the Ten Commandments written on the stones, okay? I think we all know that. Well, if you read further, you'll you'll read about that. But then, until that time of Moses, and the the word written hadn't existed. But now, here it was. And to think, you and I possess those written words. What an awesome and majestic thought. But how we take those that privilege for granted. So how do we guard against taking this privilege for granted? This privilege of having the word of God? If we go back to God's introduction to his commandments, the I am the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery. I think it's going to remind us. See, God rescued us from slavery to sin and to sin and death. And so when we remember what our great and merciful God did for us, rescuing us from that bondage, how could we not desire that with the help of the Holy Spirit to be obedient? To want to obey Him. What an awesome and holy God we serve. He revealed his written word, taking the time to inscribe it on a stone. Words written literally by the hand of God. I'd like to suggest to you this morning that we invite the same awesome and holy God to write his instructions on our hearts and minds. That as we live them out that we would reflect his character as we follow his instructions again with the help of the Holy Spirit we will bring him the glory and the honor that he so richly deserves as the Lord our God will you bow your heads with me this morning maybe after going over the moral law this morning you realize that there is an area that you're struggling with. I, I'm thinking I'm not the only one. That there is an area that you're maybe not fully obeying all of God's instructions. I just encourage you would you consider this morning coming for prayer after service? We know that there's power in prayer, that God goes ahead of us in prayer, that when we ask sincerely, For God to help us to be obedient, you can be sure that that is being asked according to God's will. He wants his children to be obedient because he knows that it will be for our benefit. And those instructions are coming from our loving Heavenly Father. He will answer. And so I encourage you, if you're struggling with an area this morning, to come and have the prayer team pray with you. They would be privileged to pray with you. But maybe you're here this morning and you realize you've been trying to fulfill God's instructions under your own strength. That you realize you really don't know God yet. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. If that's you this morning, you can invite Christ into your heart right where you sit. Simply by saying, God, I need your help. I don't want to do it my way anymore. I need Jesus to... Release me from the bondage of sin and death. It can be literally a simple, forgive me for my sin. I need your help. You can do that this morning.